Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers or various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you know, I was just thinking earlier, I don't know how, just to get God's people in this day to want to assemble together and to worship their Heavenly Father. Amen. Now that has little to do with this message. That has to do with the comments I made just a moment ago. But I think we're going to see from this message, no, I know we're going to see from this message, folks, we're living in the last days. Amen. I believe Jesus could come back at any moment. Amen. And I believe that you and I, who are saved, need to be living ready. Matthew 24 is a favorite text for messages about the end times, and we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to have to do that very quickly because I'm going to share seven points with you this morning that Jesus gives in these verses about his coming and the end of the world. Now, if you notice in verse 3, the disciples ask three questions of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at those in just a moment. But first look back to verse 1 and look at what it says. The disciples are showing Jesus the buildings of the temple. And I'm sure they're proud of them. You know, I don't mind showing people what we've had done here in the last few weeks and how beautiful our building looks. But the temple was the focal point of Jewish life. It was the focal point of their spiritual life. And it sat there in all of its splendor atop Mount Moriah. Which I think is interesting. Remember what mountain Abraham took Isaac to to offer him as a sacrifice? Amen. It's Mount Moriah. God doesn't do anything by accident, okay? And so there it sits on Mount Moriah. And the disciples could not believe that that temple would ever be left desolate, that it would be torn down, that it would be destroyed. And when the Lord prophesied what he did about that temple, it just didn't make sense. Do you realize that one of these days this building won't be here? Amen. It just won't be. And so we, we don't put stock in buildings. We put our faith in the Lord. Jesus said there's not going to be one stone left on another. It's all going to be torn down. 
Now, the Romans came against Jerusalem and the Romans besieged Jerusalem and when they besieged Jerusalem, General Titus said, don't destroy the temple. The Romans were not temple destroyers. The Romans were temple builders. And Titus said, don't destroy the temple. But a flaming arrow shot at random hit in the temple and it caught on fire. And all of those cedars of Lebanon if you've ever put cedar in a fire, tried to start a fire with something like cedar or pine, you know what we're talking about. All those cedars of Lebanon just went up in a great flame. And the gold that was in the temple, because there was a lot of gold in the temple, the gold in the temple mounted and ran down between the stones. And so the plunderers came in and with their big crowbars or whatever they used, pried those stones apart to get the gold. And there was not one stone of the temple left upon another, just as Jesus had prophesied. But let's go back to verse 3 for a moment. The disciples asked three questions in that third verse here in Matthew 24, and they are these, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of the end of the world? If we're going to get a proper understanding of the Lord's answer to these questions, though it's impossible for anybody to know exactly when Jesus is going to come back, we'll have an idea of the season of the Lord's return. And we live in the season of the Lord's return. That's what the Word of God says. Now some commentators say that Jesus did not answer that first question. What was the first question? When shall these things be? What they tend to say is that the disciples were wanting day and date. We want to know when this is going to happen, Lord. If you look over to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they asked, Lord, at this time, will you restore again the kingdom of heaven? See, we as human beings, we're so controlled by time that we just want to know when certain things are going to take place. We're just in this body for a little time. James 4.14, James says, what's your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's like going out on a frosty morning and going, and just seeing that little vapor there for a few seconds and then it disappears. And so the disciples wanted to know, when? When is all of this going to take place? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But if you look at Acts 1-7, what did Jesus say? It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. Anybody tells you that I have a day, a date, and a time for Jesus to come back, just walk away from them. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus said that information is reserved, is not for us to know. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now I can tell you when Jesus is coming back, when God says it's time. Amen. And that's as close as I can get. And I don't know if, I don't think, well I know God hadn't said it's time yet because you and I are still here. Jesus will come when God says it's time. And here's what's interesting to me, that those first century believers lived with a daily thought of Jesus Christ coming back. Amen. I wonder how many professed, saved people today live with a daily thought, this could be the day. Did we get up this morning and think, this could be the day? Will we get up tomorrow morning if the Lord hasn't come today and say, this could be the day? Remember what the Apostle Paul and Brother Rick read it at the beginning of the service, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we which are alive. See, Paul expected Jesus to come back in his lifetime. I believe that. 
Remember also, and I like to point this out, I pointed out several times in the ninth chapter of Acts on the road to Damascus, that same Paul saw the glory of the risen Christ. He saw the glory of Christ and he expected the Lord to come back in his lifetime and oh, what a difference it made in his life. And I contend that if God's people today would get a glimpse of the glory of the risen Christ. I said, if we can't sing how great thou art with a sense of awe, we're missing something. If we just get a glimpse of the glory of the risen Christ and expect him to return today, folks, it'd make a difference in your life. Because I don't want to go before the judgment seat of Christ, having not lived for the Lord, especially in the day of his return. So is Jesus really coming again? Well, absolutely, yes, Jesus is coming again. And there's a way for us to know, and we see it right here in these verses, that his coming is near. First of all, he says in verses 4 and 5, there will be the pretense of counterfeit Christ's. There'll be the pretense of counterfeit Christ. One of the signs of the end of time is great deception. He says, take heed. What does take heed mean? It means to look out. Behold, beware. We need to beware today. There's a lot of religion in the world, and not much of it is of the Lord, okay? In fact, religion is Satan's biggest business. So the idea is we have to be on guard. It will be a great day in the lives of God's people when we will learn that not everything that is religious is of God. Okay? And almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe everything. You need to be a little bit skeptical sometimes, you know and when somebody preaches something, when somebody, when I preach, verify it by the word of God. Amen. Don't say, well, we like Brother Jim and he wouldn't tell us anything wrong, so we're just going, no, verify it by the word of God. I'll not get offended. But John went on to say this, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of the Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. I said the other Wednesday night when we were talking about the verses from 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen, there's... You don't have to just stand up and say, well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. You can start adding things to his sacrifice on Calvary like baptism, church membership, good works, and those things. Those deny the deity of Christ. And there are other ways to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John says when someone does that, they're showing you they're not of God. He said that's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, we discussed this the other night, has been in the world, is in the world. What does anti mean? Anti is a prefix to the word Christ. And anti means instead of or against. And see, here's what happens. The Antichrist comes and presents himself instead of Christ. And he is against the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been many false Christ in this world in the last 2,000 years. And if you think about it, I mean, we can think about the Sun Young Moons and the Jim Joneses and the David Koreshes and all of those names that we're familiar with that have come presenting themselves as Christ, but there are some who have presented themselves as Christ 
that we've never even heard about. In fact, in the past 50 years, there have been no less than 1,100 people who have claimed to be Christ. So there will be the pretense of counterfeit Christ. It amazes me what people, especially those who don't know the Bible, will believe. And there is a great ignorance of the Word of God in our nation today. Number two, there is the presence of continuing conflict. The presence of continuing conflict. Look at verses 6 and 7. You'll hear wars and rumors of wars. He said, nation shall rise up against nation. Since the time Jesus made these statements, there have been continuing conflicts in the world. Not all of them make the news. We don't hear about all of them, but there have been, and you would think in 2,000 years, men would have figured out how to avoid war. But they haven't. And war continues. We've heard of the war to end all wars. Well, it didn't, did it? One day the war to end all wars is coming, but that one didn't. The United Nations, first it was the League of Nations, then the United Nations. We're going to establish the United Nations, and it's going to take care of the problem of war. It hasn't. In fact, sometimes I think it may have created some. And though we may call them conflicts, we may call them police actions, we may call them uprising. We can give any kind of name we want to them, but they're growing in number and intensity. Just think right now in the world, Russia and Ukraine. Just think of Hamas and Israel in the Middle East. I shared with you not long ago that down in Haiti, in the capital city of Port-au-Prince, the report to me was that there's 200 gangs at least that are roaming about, raping and pillaging and killing for trying to take control of that nation. And so there are other areas that may not be so familiar to us that there are battles going on, wars going on. In the 6,000 year recorded history of mankind, it's estimated that 600 million people have been killed in war and half of those have been killed since the year 1900. You know what we've done? We have found better ways to kill more people at one time as human beings. More wars have been seen by our generation, folks, than any other generation upon the earth. And all of this seems to ultimately, if you listen to the book of Zechariah beginning in verse 12, all of this will ultimately center one place. And where's that going to center? In Jerusalem. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The ultimate battle, the final battle is going to take place right there in Israel. But look at what Jesus said back in verse 3. He said all of these things, all of these things are just the beginning of sorrows. And then he said, but the end is not yet. That's not a fatalistic viewpoint, by the way. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Well, we can't do anything about it. No, that's not a fatalistic viewpoint. That is a prophecy from the Lord. And we're seeing that prophecy fulfilled in our day. Ultimately, there's going to be a man who comes on the scene who is going to preach peace on the one hand and is going to prepare for war on the other hand. And his name is the Antichrist, Daniel 8, 25. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. 
He's going to come preaching peace. What is our world wanting to hear? Somebody who will say, if you let me lead the world, I'll show you how to have peace. And they will listen to him. I read years ago, and I wish I could find the book I read it in. I can't even remember the name of the book. But years ago, I read a quote by an Israeli leader back in the 1930s or 40s who said this. He said, we are willing to accept anyone as our Messiah who will guarantee us peace in our land. That's their only qualification for Messiah is if he'll just guarantee them peace in their land. Listen to Revelation chapter 6 verse 4. This is the red horse rider. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that set thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So he comes preaching peace. He comes preparing for war. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be constant conflict. Number three, there is the problem of cataclysmic consequences. Verses seven and eight. He says what? There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be earthquakes. Jesus mentions famines. And that speaks of the problems of agriculture. We have two major problems with agriculture and two major failures of agriculture itself today and one is just that failure of being able to grow enough food. And number two is the problem of distribution. Getting it to where it needs to go. And you would think in an advanced society and in an advanced world with our ability to transport things, we could get food where it needs to go. But since 2020, how many times have you walked into the grocery store and seen, and I never thought I'd see it in America, empty shelves. I mean for things like bread or milk or eggs. Just some of the very basics. What's the problem? The problem is that we can't get it to where it needs to go or we're not getting it, whether planned or unplanned, where it needs to go. Someone said today that we are living in this day from field to mouth. There are no great storehouses of food anymore. There are no great granaries anymore. One biologist and sociologist said that with the world population as it is today, that the world's land is being worked so hard for food that one-fourth of the soil is turning sterile. The scripture tells us that during the Great Tribulation, a quart of wheat, which will make about, what, two or three loaves of bread, will cost between 80 and $100. You want to talk about inflation? Folks, it's coming, and it's coming in a big way. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Someone was telling me just recently, in fact, Joni was discussing it with me just recently, that a lot of people who last year were selling crawfish, now a lot of folks don't like to eat those, but you know, you do them just right, they're good. Amen. But a lot of folks who sold crawfish last year are not able to this year because of the heat and because of the summer that we had last year and because of the, the dry. And so the, the crop is just not as abundant this year as it was last year, folks. We're seeing what Jesus said fulfilled. And then he speaks of pestilence. What is a pestilence? It's a plague. It's a deadly infectious disorder. How much do we need to elaborate on that? What have we seen in recent years? We've seen AIDS. We've seen Ebola. We've seen SARS. We've seen the bird flu, the swine flu, the Hong Kong flu, and every other kind of flu. And we have seen what I call the COVID flu. 
okay? And any other kind of flu that men decide to invent. There are those who believe that some of these are the result of chemicals and biological experimentation and or warfare. Pestilences. And Jesus said that's going to be an indication of the time in which we're living when there are pestilences upon the face of the earth. And then he mentioned earthquakes. I don't know whether our reporting system is better. I think there's more earthquakes than there have been. And that's what Jesus said was going to happen. There's been an increase in earthquakes in the past few years. Seismology historians have calculated that megalithic earthquakes have increased over 2,000% since Columbus discovered the new world. 2,000%. As many have died in the past 40 years in earthquakes as died in the previous 120 years. Just recently we saw, we heard, maybe you heard about it, there was an earthquake up in Oklahoma. We have the fault lines out in California, and we've got the New Madrid fault up in Missouri and Northeast Arkansas area. And there's tremblings and there's shakings in those things. And Jesus said in the age just before he comes, there will be earthquakes. And every time I hear of an earthquake, you know what I think? I think of a verse of scripture. Every time I hear about an earthquake, I think of Romans chapter 8, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I hear about an earthquake, I said, that's just old earth saying, come on, Lord, come back. I'm ready to, see, this earth is filled with sin also. I'm talking about this ball of mud, not just the people. This whole creation has been affected and infected by sin. And when there's an earthquake, I think it's just the earth saying, Lord, I'm ready to be delivered. I'm ready for you to come back. So it seems that the earth herself is heaving in pain and waiting to be delivered. Well, number four is the persecution of committed Christians. The persecution of committed Christians. I mentioned last week that if you're going to stay true to Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. If you will stand up for the Lord, you're going to be defamed and you're going to be persecuted. John chapter 15, verse 20, listen to what Jesus said. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. We have so many today that or some at least who think that, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I ought to be treated well. Listen, if you're a child of God living in this world, you're not going to be treated well. Amen. Satan is against you, the world is against you. Guess what? Your own flesh is against you. Amen. And let we live thinking, well, I'm a child of God, bad things shouldn't happen to me. Oh no, we didn't enter, I've said before, we didn't enter a Sunday school picnic when we were saved, we entered into war. We entered into a spiritual battle when we came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says what? Yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not may, not possibly will, but shall suffer persecution. You don't have to go looking for persecution. You just have to live for Christ. And what does that mean? Well, that, does that mean just showing up at church on Sunday and being kind of good during the week? No. That means applying God's standards, the standards of the Bible, the Word of God, every day of our lives. You do that and see if you won't be 
persecuted. You won't be defamed. The world does not mind religion, folks, but it resents Jesus Christ. Amen. It resents him. Persecution of the Lord's followers is going to increase at the end of the age. And I think we're seeing it. You know, I think ultimately here in America, it may become illegal if the Lord doesn't come back soon. It may be illegal just to meet in a meeting like this. You know, if the right people take over, and the right ideology of governance takes over, that they may say, no, you worship the state. You don't worship anybody. The state is God. That's what they say in communism. The state is God. And if you worship anything, gather to worship anything other than the state, we'll shut you down. In China, if they get caught having a church in a house, they'll tear down the house. And they'll put the homeowners in jail. Now, this isn't China, but boy, it's getting close, isn't it? They're buying us up real quick. That's another sermon probably. Since the Lord's ascension, no generation has seen worldwide persecution like we've seen, folks. Just because we live in a place where right now, and see, here's what I, this goes back to what I said at the outset of the message, and maybe it did have something to do with the message. We have many members of this church who could care less whether we're meeting today or who couldn't care. How do you say that? Care less, couldn't care less. They don't care that we're meeting today. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be where I want to be. It's my life, preacher. Don't tell me how to live my life. I wouldn't presume to tell you how to live your life, but the Word of God will presume to tell you how to live your life. Amen. And to have folks who say they have been saved by the blood of Christ to then say, I don't want to go where his church is meeting and worship him is an offense to Jesus Christ. I better be careful I'll get to going like Brother Truman did in Sunday school. But the world resents Jesus. Some countries, in some countries, believers put their lives on the line just to show up at church and to worship the Lord. And yet in America, again, we have so-called Christians who have a take it or leave it attitude. I said it Wednesday night. Folks, I'll say it again. It is a disgrace Amen. to people who claim to know Christ as Savior and yet who refuse to gather together as he has commanded and worship him in spirit and in truth. Believers today, yes, are openly and mercilessly mocked in the media and in entertainment. I understand that. But in the last days, here's what's going to happen. Persecution is going to turn into a white hot heat. And then we're going to find out how many Sunday morning bench warmers are serious. Number five the perversion of Christless cults. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Now prophet here does not refer necessarily to a prophet from God. And certainly doesn't a false prophet wouldn't refer to a prophet from God. Prophet here literally means a spurious prophet, a pretended foreteller or religious imposter. It comes from two Greek words. The word pseudes or pseudo, okay? which means untrue, it means erroneous, it means deceitful, it means wicked. And the word prophetes, which means a foreteller. By analogy, an inspired speaker, and by, even by extension, a poet. Jesus said there's going to come false 
prophets. And there are people today, whether they're professors, listen, our colleges in America are a hotbed of anti-Christians, anti-Christ teaching. We need to understand that. But there are people today who want to shape and mold society into their way of thinking. And many of these get into the teaching profession. Many of these become college professors. And many of these direct education. Genesis 6-5, you know when it says the imagination of man was only evil continually? That word imagination, it's not talking about daydreams. It's talking about carefully crafted philosophies. That's what men were thinking. By the way, men in the day of the flood were not ignorant, you know, knuckle-dragging, hairy, half-ape creatures. Amen. They played music. They worked metal. You just read the book of Genesis, you'll find that out. And then they begin to turn away from God. But the word was used to describe molding a piece of pottery. The philosophers Jesus is talking about are people who want to mold this society to what they want it to be. Who want to mold the society to their way of thinking. And that's why Romans 12, 2 tells us, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conform means to fashion a light, to conform to the same pattern. Jesus through the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul tells us, as he told the church at Rome, don't be conformed to the world. Amen. Be different. That's what will bring the persecution. And being different is what most people don't want. It was mentioned, and so I'm going to mention it. I was not going to mention what today is. And I don't mean Sunday, and I don't mean the 11th, and all of that other stuff. For so many today is all oh, the day we've waited all year for Super Bowl Sunday. I, called, I said they're going to change the name of it to the Taylor Swift Bowl. But that's another thing altogether. But there are people who will stay home from church to watch a football game. And in a year they won't remember most if not any of the plays that took place. They'll rarely rem all they'll remember is the score maybe and who won. There are churches. I've heard of churches that will interrupt their services. There, I heard of one church one time that said this, we'll all gather in the sanctuary and we'll watch the first half on the big screen and during halftime we'll have a sermonette and then we'll watch the second half together. Amen. Folks, that's ungodly. Amen. That's putting the world in the place. And that as I recall, it was a Baptist church that did that. Shame on you Baptists that do that. Amen. Have I upset anybody yet? I'm not trying to. I'm just okay. Someone has said when a man ceases to believe in the one true God, it doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in anything. It just means that he will believe anything. Okay? There are a lot of cults in our world. Some of them pose as legitimate religions, and I could name them. You want to talk to me afterwards, I'll name them. And their desire is to confuse weak believers and to uh, capture weak believers and take them away from the truth. And Jesus said there will be this increase in the number of Christless cults in the last days, and we're seeing it. By the way, what qualifies something to be a cult? Well, among other things, it denies the deity of Jesus Christ. It tends to 
have its own scripture or to twist the scripture away from the truth. Many other things, but there are a lot of cults in the world. Number six, the proliferation of carnal coldness. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. What is iniquity? It is from the word anomos, which means lawlessness. It was used to refer to someone who wasn't subject to the Jewish law. Because iniquity shall abound. Iniquity is lawlessness. It's a violation of God's law. It's wickedness. And what did he say is going to happen? And because wickedness and lawlessness and iniquity shall abound, the love of many of God's people is going to wax cold, folks. Look around you. Just look around and you see that the love of many has already waxed cold. Waxed cold means to chill. It's illustrated by the difference between a forcible respiration and a voluntary breath. What do you mean? It's a difference between and the love of many is going to wax cold. It's pictured by ice melting and through evaporation cooling a drink. What did the Lord say? to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, because thou hast left thy first love. Okay? They didn't go off into error. They were doctrinally sound. See, here's the danger we face. I'm not really worried about us getting off into false doctrine except for the false doctrine of losing your first love. And I think it's a false doctrine just as much as any of the others. We're going to stand for the truth. I mean, at least as long, I intend, at least as long as I am pastor here and the Lord gives me breath, we're going to stand for the truth. Amen. We're not going to go off chasing whatever the most popular thing to do religiously is. But we can get so caught up in that that we lose our honeymoon love for Christ. And that's what the church at Ephesus did. And that is the danger that we face. They cooled in their honeymoon love. And Jesus is saying, because iniquity shall abound, people, even God's people, are going to become cold-hearted toward the Lord and toward the truth. And the iniquity, he says, is abounding. It's multiplying. It's increasing. And iniquity is abounding even in the Lord's churches today. There's no new sin. But sin is more open today, isn't it? I tell you what, things that used to slink down a back alley or marching down Main Street today and they're saying, look at us, and we're proud of being what we are. Just think about the invention of the Internet, what it has done. And social media, they've played a part in the increase and the abounding of iniquity. Texting has turned in many cases into sexting. You know what that is? That sending pornographic pictures of yourself or somebody else in a text message. And anyone today, thanks to the internet, can access pornography right in their own home, Amen. in their own living room, den, bedroom, wherever it may be. Iniquity is, there's no new sin, but iniquity is abounding. And when you take away the fixed standard of right and wrong, the Word of God, when you rule out, when you rule out what God says, it becomes all right to kill babies. It becomes all right to perform homosexual marriages. It becomes all right to euthanize the aged. Well, they're old and they don't offer much for society anyway. Let's just put them out of their misery. When you take away the moral limits, 
you destroy the fire and the glow of true love, folks. Amen. Young people today, and pardon me for saying this, because I'm going to be real plain. Most of us are, are adults, if not all of us in here. Pardon my frankness, but many young people today believe that love is little more than a sexual act. It's not the commitment to someone through good and bad and difficult times and all of that. It's just something to gratify the flesh. Well, folks, true love is demonstrated at Calvary. Amen. Okay, that's what true love is. Our society has replaced a godly theology with a godless meology. And right quickly, number seven. And I like this part. I didn't like the first six, but I like this part. The performance of Christ's commands. The performance of Christ's command. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, you know what he did? He commissioned his churches to carry the gospel into all the world. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe and to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what the Lord has given us to do. And listen, the gospel has been preached in all the world. No, it hasn't been preached to every person in the world, but it's been in every nation in the world. Years ago, in seminary, I read a book about Augustine, the Archbishop of Hippo. Look him up if you don't know who he is. But he brought persecution on Christians in Africa. Africa was a hotbed of Christianity. And we see where it is today. And remember what the Lord said in the Ten Commandments about those who hate him? He would meet that iniquity, that sin, to the third and fourth generation. But the gospel has gone into all the world, through radio, through television, through the internet, through books, through leaflets. Any other way that we can get it out, the word has gone out. I'm glad to share with you that my own podcast site has been downloaded and visited by people in Russia, people in China, people in Europe, and even in some of the Arab nations, and most recently by folks in Zambia. Folks, the gospel has gone into the whole world. And the message of salvation is available to anyone and to everyone today at a moment's notice if their government will allow them free and uncensored access to messages like this on the internet. Right now, right now as this is being preached, Somebody on the other side of the world can hear that Jesus is coming back. And you better be ready. You need to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved today before it's everlasting too late. The gospel is being, will be, has been proclaimed in the world and it is the fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy. Amen. We're living in the last days. Go back to verse 8 for just a moment right here. All of these are the beginnings of sorrows. You know what the word sorrows means? It talks about a pang or a throw, especially of childbirth. See, all of these things are an indication. See, we know that when birth pains multiply, something's about to come forth, right? And that's what this is saying. When these things begin to happen, it's like birth pains. You don't have to wait for any signs, folks. Jesus could come at any moment. 
He could come today. The suddenness of Christ's return is seen in verse 27 of this same 24th chapter of Matthew. Listen to what it says. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall it be also in the coming of the Son of Man. The lightning does not give you any signs that it's about to flash. Amen. We were leaving the house this morning and we have a gate across our driveway and we haven't gotten so sophisticated that it's electric yet. So guess who the gate opener is? Joni was backing the van out, or was about to, and then she remembered something she had to go in the house for, and I'm standing under the eave of the house, and all of a sudden this white flash in the sky, and I thought, ah, I'm moving somewhere else for a moment. <laughs> and then I held on to this metal gate while I closed it with the lightning flashing. Lightning doesn't give you any warning. Lightning just flashes, and that's what Jesus said, just like the lightning coming out of the east and going to the west. He illustrated the suddenness and the surprise of his coming in verse 43. Listen to what it says. But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. A thief does not call you in advance and say, you better look out, I'm coming tonight. Amen. I've had my vehicle broken into one time. You know where it was? It was at church. Then you were going to be in there for a certain amount of time. And nobody patrolled the parking lot, and so they just broke into several vehicles. But they didn't call in advance and say, hey, while you're at church tonight, leave some good stuff in your vehicle because I'm going to break into it. No, a thief comes suddenly and he comes unexpectedly. And Jesus said his coming will be sudden and it will be unexpected. And you know what distresses me as a pastor of one of the Lord's churches? I'm getting ready to close. But you know what distresses me as a pastor of one of the Lord's churches? I see so many of God's people, some of them are people, living their life as if Jesus is not coming back. Or if he does, it won't be in their lifetime. You know, many times the coming of Jesus is something that's out there. I don't think about it. It, it. I'll live and I'll die and then somewhere, you know, in 25, 25 or something like that, Jesus would come. No, Jesus could come back today. He could come back before we meet at 6 o'clock tonight. But when you live that way, you're not living ready for the Lord to return. Listen, whether by the clod or by the cloud, whether by the upper taker or the undertaker, you and I are going to leave this life one day. Amen. If you read today's bulletin article, it's about a man. And this is what it said in the obituary, because I read obituaries. But this man passed away suddenly, and I would add unexpectedly, in his sleep. And I don't mean any disrespect to the family. But I don't think that man put on his calendar, tonight while I sleep, I'm going to die. Last week we sang, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you? If you're saved, the best thing you can do is to commit your heart and your life to a faithful service of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he's coming soon, morning or night or noon. And the song says, many will meet their doom. So if you've never called upon the Lord to be saved through repentance and faith in Him. Do it today. Don't die without Christ. Jesus has told us very clearly here in this 24th chapter of Matthew. I don't know how much clearer He could tell us, but He has told us so very clearly right here in this 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. Here are the signs. If you're looking for a sign that my coming is near. I have people today, well, Brother Jim, is this a sign? You got them! Right there in the Word. 
I almost said, quit asking your pastor. Well, go ahead. It's okay to ask, but you know what I'm going to tell you? It's in the Bible. Read it. Jesus is coming, and his coming could be today. And see, the question is not, is he giving us any signs? The question is, am I paying attention? Am I seeing through those signs that he's coming and that his coming is near? And if I see that, or when I see that, Am I going to commit myself to living for Him? And here's another thing we need to commit to because there's a lot of folks going to... What's going to happen to those? We've talked about this last week. What's going to happen to those who are unsaved when Jesus comes back? They're going to be left here to live through the great tribulation, one of the most horrible... In fact, Jesus said there's never been such a tribulation on the face of this earth or ever will be again. It's what's coming for those folks who don't know Christ as Savior. We need to be living for Jesus and telling people about the Lord.